Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So we've donned our yellow ties yet again as we catch up with you on yet another deadline day. Uh, however, it's not all about the Scottish man screaming excitedly as absurd amounts of money change hands, as there was a lot of FPL action this midweek to talk about too. I'm joined today by Nick. How's deadline day going for you? Deadline day is uh, going fine, thank you, Tom. I've also got my yellow tie on. I'm glad to be here after that game week. Um, everything's been a little manic for me recently, but we'll talk about that in a minute. As usual, just to say who we are, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL and online at whogottheassist.com. And please follow us, subscribe to the pod and tell your friends if you like what you hear. Thanks, Nick. Uh, so today's pod will be a little bit shorter than usual, given the quick turnaround between game weeks, but we'll try to pack our analysis in any way. Uh, today, we're going to talk about tough decisions in FPL and how we decide what to do. Um, I know, Nick, your team was absolutely decimated by the uh, by the cup games, and we're going to talk about how you responded to that. And um, I obviously captained Sterling over Salah this week, and that was quite an agonising decision too. Um, and after that kind of true to deadline day, we're going to talk about five or six of the big new signings and how they may impact the meta and the template going forward. We'll then do our usual features before taking your questions at the end. Yep, and thanks for the questions, guys. So, um, Tom, you've had a bit of a good game week for a change. I think you've outscored me by about 20-odd points or something. So uh, how, how was it for you? It was it was actually really good. Um, so I, I went against the crowd, basically. Um, I went for Sterling captain this week and he rewarded me with two assists, which I was obviously really pleased with. Um, didn't take a hit. I brought in Chupo Moting for Arnautovic. And the fact was, this is all to enable uh, a Sanchez plan. So Sanchez will be coming in for me, uh, for Lingard. And I'll be taking out Otamendi, who was my only defender to actually score uh, anything this week above, above two points um, for, for a up to 4.8 defender uh, to finance it. But yeah, no, I've ended up with 66 points. I think it is after bonus. Sterling's have gone down to one unfortunately, but he, he got me 20 points from the captaincy, which is pretty good. Uh, I had Callum Wilson, I had Firmino, um, obviously carrying Salah as well. And those uh, those four players plus Osimendi mean that I'm just under 20 points over the overall average. And I think uh, just a little bit above the uh, top 10 K average as well. So up to about 200 K, which is the highest I've been all season. I've, I've got a bit of a nosebleed. But Nick, how was your week? More to the point, I know you've not been very happy today. Well, I haven't been particularly happy. I think it's mostly to do with um, doing a minus eight. And, and at the end of the day, I've, I've scored um, 55 points um, with a minus eight. So the actual score, 55 points, is um, you know above the average by a fair bit. But with the minus eight, it becomes um, around about the average. And uh, according to my projected rank, um, site hasn't updated yet as of now i'm clinging on to the top 10k so um, i'm clinging on to a four-figure score which i've been enjoying uh four-figure <laughs> overall rank but uh yeah uh it was a bit of a weird game week and just i wasn't happy at all for the last week and a half really just because i've had um, a lot of injury crisis 
Um, and Altovic, who you owned as well, um, he, he pulled his hammy, so I had to sell him. Uh, Masuaku, um, disgustingly, decided to spit at his opponent. So he, he got a big, <laughs> huge ban. So I had to get rid of him. I didn't have to, but I chose to. I should have probably sold uh, Calvert-Lewin or Loftus-Cheek. For some reason, I've decided to keep them at the moment. And uh, I actually, instead, I sold Ericsson. So it was a bit of a dodgy start. Especially the Spurs United game was a bit of a disaster for me. Selling Ericsson, he goes and scores in the first minutes on cursing. And then my player, Phil Jones, decides to get an own goal and also a <laughs> yellow card. So once again, I was like, I've never really been this unhappy about Spurs beating <laughs> Manchester United just because I was like fuming about Ericsson and Jones and just Jones ending up with a minus two. I drafted in um, Simpson as well. Like it was a bit of a deadline five minutes for me because I've been really busy with work. So I haven't had as much time to do FPL. It's been um, really crazy recently. So I, I realised the deadline was coming up literally with like 10 minutes to spare and I still hadn't done my transfer. So I urgently went on the website, took out Ericsson and I drafted in KDB and he got me 14 points. So that was, you know, it turned out to be a quite a good decision in the end, bringing in KDB. Yeah, got, got you out of Got you out of jail big time, didn't it? Bit, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you were you were so upset on the slack. You were absolutely like, cursing. cursing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, that, that KDB goal, you just you were on the ceiling for about five minutes. <laughs> it's just a bit of a whirlwind ninety minutes, just with Jones just screwing me over completely. But then the KDB goal kind of um, you know helped me a lot, especially with the Sterling assist as well. I also drafted in Pogba for an Altovich. Pogba got blank, and Simpson, who decided not to play and neither did John Joe Kenny. So my defence was Alonso Simpson Jones Kenny, which is minus one. Luckily, I have Zanka coming off the bench to, to round it up to a, to a zero for the defenders. Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> Sterling, Sterling, your captain, did really well for you, got me some points. I captained Salah, 16, and Bobby Firmino, eight points to actually turn it into a reasonable game week just to this defence was, was a bit of a disaster and the minus eight as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I think it, it feels. It feels like it's one of those for a lot of people. I'm well aware that I'm in. You know, I, the late Aguero goal. I think has gotten a lot of people out of jail, um, and the Salah goal obviously kept a lot of people tiding over, even though it was a penalty. And you know, he said to Milner, "I'm taking this." And uh, yeah, so I think it's kind of a, it's a middle of the road game week for a lot of people. But I think that let's talk about our first kind of topic. And I think you just mentioned it, didn't you? That you kind of. You did a move without thinking in some ways, didn't you? Because you only had five minutes to look at it. I remember you were texting me at like, you know, 20 to 7 uh, saying, you know, who am I going to bring in? What should I do? Should I bring in this guy or that guy? And I think that's quite an interesting thing to talk about just psychologically as well. Um, like acting without thinking is, is really cool. It's a really interesting uh, area. Uh, it's It reminds me of a really early book I read, uh, which got me interested in the subject of psychology altogether, which was a pop science book uh, by someone called Malcolm Gladwell. It was called Blink, and he spoke about how you often intuitively know the solution or at least the good idea of it upon encountering a problem. So how often have you had a problem on FPL or you've had to make a decision and on reflection gone against it and seen your first instinct actually quite do well? And this is called thin slicing. This is the kind of using information in a very narrow period of experience to come to a conclusion. So if you look at your team, you know, as when the deadline uh, when the game reopens again after the deadline, you see a kind of a good captain call, you captain him, then you switch it later on in the week and your initial captain call does very well. You thin sliced in the first place and thought, okay, this guy's quite good. 
Um, and there's lots of studies which show that experts, um, which I guess a lot of people in FPL terms are, because in the amount of time you play it and the amount of thought you put into it, can actually do a lot better with their intuition than when they've got a ream of evidence in front of them. And having lots of evidence actually can lead to something called analysis paralysis, which is a phenomenon where too much information can actually obstruct accuracy or judgment. Uh, this is an age of information overload, of course, and the challenge is to sift through and focus on what, what the most critical information is. In most cases, collecting more information can only actually serve to reinforce your initial judgment, which is quite a good thing, or it can lead to confirmation bias, which is where you're focusing on information which proves your theories and discard those which go against it. Gladwell said that uh, better judgments can be executed uh, using simplicity and frugality of information. It often is the case that if picture is clear enough to decide, uh, then decide using it without using a magnifying glass. And I, I think that your moves, I mean, you, obviously Simpson was unlucky, I think. You've got him for Swansea on the weekend, uh, Amati's out of position. You've got Pogba for Huddersfield, and you've got Kevin De Bruyne, who obviously came through. And I think that those were three actually very good moves on paper. And those are three moves which are going to kind of benefit you going forward. So I, I think there is an element of that coming in there. I mean... If you do have to make a decision like that, Nick, you kind of exp- you kind of just explain the situation you're in. What kinds of things are you thinking about, and and how does that kind of help form your decision when you finally make it? Well, I mean, I was trying to plan as you know, I was thinking about my moves all week. I just hadn't sort of acted on them, and then I just got so nervous, didn't close the deadline. I was like, I saw the Masuaku um, red flag, and thought this guy's got to go. When originally, what I probably should have done was my original plan was. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin to Jordan Ayew and that one would have paid off but I think when you're looking at the deadline you, you're just kind of you, you're looking at the raw raw numbers and this is what a lot of people do in FPL anyway when we whenever we do our market forces we look at who's being bought and who's being sold it's always strange decisions which is basically based on who's got the highest score and we saw that quite a lot of the time with Stephen Ward at Burnley so um, yeah I guess I was looking at defenders and I was looking at 4.5 so I was just the, the price who's got the highest score then the fixtures and I saw Simpson 4.3 I think I texted you as well and you, you you were recommending Simpson and Chilwell but you said Chilwell obviously um, might be rotated with food so I went for Simpson <laughs> of course. blame to me <laughs> yeah well that's, that's what happened I originally my original plan was actually um, I was going to go for Phil Parsley <laughs> but um, not that that would have actually paid off I was just like, what's going on with Lowton? And then I couldn't, I couldn't find any information on the internet either. I didn't, no one, no one would tell me what was going on with Lowton and if he was going to start or not. But uh, yeah, it was kind of just a panic decision. I shouldn't. Uh, Danny Simpson on the minus eight just sounds mental, and I, I probably shouldn't, have, probably should have just left it. Really, to be honest. I think that's the apex of FPL geekiness, isn't it? Looking around on the internet for information on Matthew Lowton. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was still at work as well as like Googling Matthew Lowton. I was like, listen. <laughs> work must think you're an inveterate Burnley fan or something. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, all right, all right. Well, at least I think I think in the future those decisions are going are to stand you in good stead. I mean, I captained Sterling and um, basically I played the percentages and I saw that uh, kind of Sterling had only blanked once at home so far this year. I did a little tweet on uh, Sterling's home form in the season, which actually kind of made me think that, you know, initially, uh, going back to the blink idea, when I first saw my team this week, I thought, yeah, I'm going to put it on Sterling. And then obviously I kept it through the cup runs and I had it on Salah for a while. And I was thinking, no, no, I'm, I'm going to switch it. Um, Salah's away form had been patchy. And I thought that City's kind of home form 
was was genuinely something that I wanted to back up. And also kind of Salah's ownership versus Sterling's ownership. I thought, you know, if Sterling does something and Salah, if he didn't take that penalty, I'd be laughing right now. I, obviously, kind of it's dampened a little bit by the fact that Salah got eight points, but it's still good enough to get me quite a good green arrow. And more than anything, I think kind of meant that some of the FPL rust got shaken off because last week I spent the whole game week waiting for everything to tide over because it, my entire team was template and kind of swapping things up was A, a bit more entertaining this midweek and B, seems to have elicited some rewards for me, which is quite good. Um, I think in if it's a hard decision for me, I always kind of tend to try to make it as objective as possible rather than um, using my emotions to decide what I'm going to do. And I, I, you know, I, I do subscribe to the idea that if you do have a gut instincts about something, there is psychological evidence to show that your gut can be correct. But I think sometimes, you know, if you're having a bad season, like I was having quite a bad season, now I'm up to 200k in vague respectability, it can get in the way of, of you trusting your gut instinct. And sometimes you can be thinking, you know, oh, I've made a huge mistake. But this time, um, I thought I'm going to stick with my gun, stick with my gut, Captain Sterling, and it, it kind of worked out for me. Um, so in terms of um, that, that's kind of how I kind of do decision, do deal with hard decisions. I kind of look at the data and then try to make an objective judgment. Um, is that is that kind of what you do as well? Yeah, that's what I've generally been doing all season. I've been playing it very safe, and, and this game week with all the injuries, it, I think we talked a lot. Well, there's been a lot of discussion about like the template and how we all have the same teams. And I thought, oh, you know, it's, it's time to mix it up. There's an injury crisis. The likes of KDB and Pogba aren't really templates. So I thought I'll, I'll see what these guys can do and throw them into the, the mix. And um, I think our teams were looking very similar about two weeks ago. I think we were almost on seven or eight of the same player. And now I think we're only down to about Alonso, Sterling, Salah, Kane and, and Bobby so we probably only got five players the same now when earlier I think we might even have been nine at, at one point so uh, yeah um, I've, that's what I've generally been doing is I've tried to look at the stats you know the underlying stats a lot of this season doing some analysis of players we did a lot of analysis earlier um, in the summer as well which really helped me um, in has really improved my performance overall this season um, this game week, because of lack of time, I felt like I rushed my decisions a little bit, um, as we discussed. But uh, you know, it's 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 it, the minus eight is painful to take, and it's and I don't like taking hits. It was a rare week for you actually to not take a hit, which is quite interesting because you haven't taken a hit and you've done really well. Maybe that's something that you should perhaps <laughs> look to do more often is uh, avoid hits because it seems to have paid off us with me. I've taken a minus eight and I've I've performed quite badly. Yeah, definitely. I feel like sometimes with taking a hit, like you, you get kind of leaks. So that is kind of a little leak from any score you make because you're kind of thinking, oh, I've got I've got seventy this game week. That's really good. Um, but in a high scoring game week, that can be you know that's actually a sixty six, which or a, you know a sixty two if, if you've taken a minus eight and say the top ten k average, which is what I tend to look at because that's a good a good indication of how players who are actually playing the game and you know having that kind of minus four that minus eight, it's like it's like kind of you know there's a flood and there's like a loose seal and that's kind of what's affecting your uh, your overall score. I mean, we spoke about a little bit about the analysis and all the analysis we've done. I think we should move on now after speaking about those kind of hard decisions to a, a few players who have entered in the spirit of deadline day, uh, FPL 
this <laughs> this January, or at least kind of move teams this January and, and maybe now a, a valid concern, whereas before they were kind of widely ignored. I think the first thing, the first player to talk about is probably Sanchez. So I'm bringing Sanchez in and I'm captaining him. Uh, obviously, he blanked tonight, which I'm quite happy with in some ways because it will, it will mean that less people will bring him in than otherwise may have if he'd have performed straight away. Um, he's going to probably go up to 11.8 tonight. Uh, he's got Huddersfield home. And it's very hard to actually call on the stats here if we're being honest and candid. The context is obviously different. He's in a different team. But we know how good a player he is. Even though I hate giving my opinion without much fact to back it up, because it is in a new team. So you haven't really got that kind of back data to work with. What we do know is that Sanchez, if I'm bringing him in, in as a punt, he's a very good player. Um, last season, 24 goals, 11 assists, 264 points. He's averaging 213 points a season. I see that and I see the ownership at 4%. And I think, yeah, that's definitely worth doing for Huddersfield. I, mean, I spoke to a few people this week, um, FPL Death Star, <laughs> uh, FPL Guna and FPL Connects, who's coming on next week uh, about this. And um, I, I think, you know, for a minus four, I don't have to really do major surgery on my team, which kind of Aguero owners have to do, which people who have wildcarded and are operating at max or anybody else who's operating at max budget has to do. In fact, I don't have to do that hopefully will give me a bit of an advantage and will mean that Sanchez for Huddersfield is the standout captain, I think, for the weekend. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I think, you know, if he does perform against Huddersfield, he's going to enter the meta big time. There's uh, people are going to be kind of moving their team around because it's Newcastle up next to the way. I think people are going to be moving their team around to fit him in. What do you think about Sanchez, Nick? I mean, he's he's definitely an option, especially now he's at his new club. For me, he's he's very expensive still at eleven point seven. Um, he's third most expensive player actually in in the game. So you have to kind of find the cash from somewhere. Uh, seven goals and five assists at, at the price of eleven point seven. That's that's not enough. Obviously, he's been at Arsenal, where you know you could say he hasn't been playing. Um, to his the best of his abilities, but actually, in terms of overall midfielders, I did have a look, and he he is um, third for most attempts out of all midfielders with sixty nine. Only Richarlison with seventy four, and, and Salah with ninety six all all season are ahead of him. So he's definitely getting the attempts, but I think it, he's only scored seven goals. Whilst um, Sterling, who's only had fifty six attempts, has managed to score fourteen goals. So. Um, his chances haven't been, they've either been scuffed or, you know, his, uh, his conversion hasn't been as high as the likes of um, Sterling or um, or Salah. But um, yeah, I mean, he's had 34 shots in the season inside the box and, uh, you know, he's uh, had 23.1 minutes per chance. So he's his um his chance creation stats are are very high for me. I just I don't know. I I did think about bringing in Sanchez this week, um, and it probably if I actually did do that, it would have been an even worse week for me. But what I decided is rather than go for Sanchez, I, I'd go for Pogba because I thought you know Sanchez may be getting lots of opportunities, but a lot of the time it'd be Pogba who um who'll be creating them, and he he might get me some assists and goals. So if Sanchez you know breaks the ground running against Huddersfield. I think that you know Man United until the end of the season they only play Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, and Arsenal, and interspersed with that are actually some very good fixtures: uh, Swansea at home, uh, West Brom at home, Bournemouth away, which will definitely have goals in it. And in the last two games they have, uh, including uh, game week thirty-seven, which could be a double game week, they got Brighton as one of the two games there away. So I think he could be one of those that if you get him in early, uh, he could be you know one of those. Uh, I think one of those players who it 
forms a real alternative team formation. You know, so if you paid a lot of money um, for that team composition, I think that could be he could be a player um, who could definitely make the difference and definitely kind of act as a big differential for me, certainly in the challenger position. Uh, so obviously Sanchez moved to moved to Man United, uh, moving the other way to Arsenal's Mkhitaryan. Uh, I, I think 7.4, that's actually looking quite tasty. Um, in the final season at Dortmund, he scored 11 goals and got 15 assists and only 28 appearances. And he links up with Aubameyang, who we're going to speak about in a second. Uh, Utilised properly, I think he could be very promising indeed. And I think he will fit the Wenger ball system. It's just the case of how he kind of fits in. Um, he was kind of a central creator at Manchester United, which kind of wasn't really his role at Dortmund. He was more of kind of a, a wide and inside forward kind of thing, creating chances and trying to take them on himself. And I think that in the future for 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 Arsenal, for us, I think he's going to be a really good player. Uh, you had a look at Mkhitaryan as well, right? Yeah, I mean... He's interesting because um, at the beginning of the season this year, he, he was almost template after getting five assists in the first three fixtures. But after that, he, could, he didn't manage another single assist all season. And we saw that he um, just like frankly fell out of uh, Mourinho's, uh, Mr. Manager's favours. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how he fits into the Arsenal um, team because obviously um, he's, he's very similar player. He's similar sort of player to Ozil. We kind of, you know, so quite languid, you know, just doesn't make too many runs, but uh, more of a more of a passer and creator of the ball. But he will offer something for Arsenal in deal terms. I don't think he'll be. I don't think he's someone we should really be looking at as a as a player to bring in. But I think if if he can link up and find that partnership that he had with Aubameyang whilst they were both at Dortmund, then you know he might he might thrive at Arsenal. But for now, I think with Arsenal's fixtures as well as um, Everton, Spurs, Manchester City up next, um, I think it's definitely going to be a, a wait and watch with him. And and on the subject of Aubameyang, and, and it's a, a very much an Arsenal theme to this uh, transfer window. Uh, I think he's quite an exciting purchase for Arsenal fans. Um, we did a uh, prospecting the prospects on him on the website. I think he, he's a very interesting prospect for sure. Um, Thirteen goals and, and three assists in, in sixteen games so far this season. I don't know. I guess um, he's, he's going to Lacazette probably hasn't really done enough since he signed for Arsenal with only nine goals and four assists, and and you can see um, Aubameyang sort of becoming the uh, the leading man for Arsenal in that in that number nine position. Yeah, definitely. A bit of a worry for me is basically that Lacazette is obviously a number nine. Aubameyang is almost definitely a number nine. And I'm worried that one of them's going to end up being Podolskied, basically, by being shoved on the wing. And I think it's probably going to be Lacazette who is going to be shoved on the wing and Podolsky, which is a shame in some ways. Uh, but equally, Aubameyang is a very, very good player, judging by our perspective and the prospects. So we had him at 100 points so far for this season. But if you adjust that for 25 games that have been played in FPL... Um, it was 156 based on his points per game. He's scored 100 goals and 20 assists since the start of 2015-16, uh, a goal or assist every 83 minutes on the pitch. And he's actually outscored Kane for goals per game. So he's got 0.97 uh, per game uh, compared to 0.91 for Kane. And what was interesting, I think, looking at the uh, looking at the kind of the stats on Aubameyang is that although he's never going to bring the creativity that Sanchez did. In terms of shooting, what was interesting was that Kane takes 5.78 shots per game, whereas Aubameyang takes 3.62. But the goals per game rate is actually similar, which means the conversion rate for Aubameyang is actually off the scale. Um, 
for me, I think that that's going to really impact the template if he can carry that form over to over to the Premier League. Because I mean, our running isn't uh, Arsenal's running that is isn't actually that bad. Um, so we've got Everton, Tottenham, and Man City, as you said, until game week twenty eight. After that, we only play Manchester United of the top six teams until the end of the season. So from twenty nine to thirty eight, we have a sea of green. And I think that that would be a very, very strong time to have Aubameyang in your team. I think that what that's going to do is it's going to break up the Firmino, Kun, Kane triumvirate. And we're going to see some real variation there, which I think was kind of sorely needed uh, in the template. Yeah, definitely. I think Arsenal haven't really been talked about in FPL terms all season. And I, I think after the, the performance in the week, it might still be a little while until we start properly talking about Arsenal players but yeah you're right in terms of their fixtures after the Manchester City game they improved greatly and Aubameyang yeah well the the stats are amazing on him he had had a few discipline issues actually at Dortmund but if he can behave and if he starts performing for Arsenal he could really break up that template that like you said is is just being covered with Kane, Kun and Firmino that everyone owns at least two of up front. Um, Shall we move on to the next um, player was another player we did prospect and prospects on. He's joined the Sky Blue Man Group. It's um, Laporte. The, the doors open for him, and uh, yeah, big bucks. Um, he started as well, and he's only um, he's only five point five million, which surprised me. I was expecting him to be six point zero million, um, same pricing as uh, what Antonio Rudiger got, just because he played for Manchester City, and he's um, he's going to be one of their main central defenders and and the price that they paid for him I think he's he's got a lot of potential um he went straight into the team on but um the fact he's um left-footed as well is quite interesting because both Stones and Otamendi are are right-footed and um they needed a sort of left-footed central defender and Laporte fits that role really well I think you did a prospect in prospects and he's had he's had no goals this season but just one one assist so he's not particularly prolific in terms of going forward but I think yeah, he definitely um, adds an option to the defence there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I looked at Laporte. Uh, Laporte, interestingly, is only the second Frenchman ever to play for Athletic Bilbao. The only other one is Vicente Lizarazu, uh, who is a favourite from FIFA Road to World Cup uh, many years ago. <laughs> 1998, dear me, we're old. Uh, 20 years ago, that game came up. <laughs> I think that... Laporte isn't going to be a very interesting one going forward. I think principally in terms of FPL, the impact is going to be that there's going to be a decrease in Otamendi ownership because I think that Laporte offers another option to Pep. And I don't know whether he's going to, you know, if he does obviously always pair Otamendi with one of the two of, of, of uh, Laporte and Stones, then yeah, fine, keep Otamendi. But what I think is going to happen is that they're going to rotate a lot because, as you said, there's the there's kind of the, the dominant foot issue, and you always like to have on the left side of the centre of the back two, what somebody who who's comfortable on that side. In the prospects and the prospects, what we saw was that in in FPL, there's three kind of things for defenders: clearances, blocks, and interceptions. In terms of interceptions, Otamendi is the king, so his stats were way higher than for Stones, who's more of a ball-playing defender. 1.13 interceptions per game compared to 1.8 for Otamendi. But in terms of clearances and blocks, Laporte was better overall. Obviously, Bilbao were kind of 13th in the Liga, so that's equivalent to a Bournemouth or a West Ham kind of thing. If we extrapolated and kind of put Laporte playing for Bilbao on the same level as those two playing for the league leaders... I think they're actually kind of on this uh, on a fairly similar level. And what was really interesting, actually, was that Phil Jones is 
a player who's very much like Laporte in terms of the stats. So Phil Jones is a clearances and blocks master for Man United. And he's obviously a massive bonus hog. I think that that could be something which could really, really come through. I mean, if Laporte can be like Jones, and obviously today with the own goal and the yellow card, it's not quite the same, but he could be solid as a rock for Man City. He really could. I think that that could be very, very interesting, especially next year with Laporte. And if he's 5.5, if he doesn't do that much this season, if there's no great shakes, and I think he'll stay at 5.5. And next year, that could be something which is, uh, you know, really alluring for uh, for managers. And the penultimate man to talk about uh, was a man who joined joined your team, Spurs, uh, Lucas Mora. And uh, Lucas Moura is going to be another interesting one too. I remember all of the kind of all of the hype about him before he joined PSG uh, from Sao Paulo. He was always that player that on Football Manager we were looking at to sign. And a lot of it depends on whether he's the mainstay or part of the revolving cast of characters at Spurs, um, who the rotation alongside Eriksen, Ali, and Kane. Um, last season, according to our method, he'd have got 169 points from 12 goals and five assists, which is kind of level with Aspilicueta. But he's a player who's an all-rounder on the wing, so he offers crosses, which Spurs don't really get from Son, who's the wide attacking player. I mean, they do get them from Trippier, do get them from Davis, do get them from Aurier. Uh, but last season, he got 1.4 crosses per game compared to Son on just 0.2. He does uh, offer some shots. Uh, he had 66 shots last season versus Son's 80. The only kind of drawback about him is some kind of anecdotal evidence of him being fairly wasteful so he's been called the Brazilian Walcott on a lot of channels and um, but he does offer pace and skill and I think that Spurs actually do have quite a good run in so they've got Liverpool and Arsenal next to which you know about and then they've got Crystal Palace, Huddersfield, Bournemouth and Newcastle between 28 and 30, uh, 31 which is a very very nice kind of four fixtures there and then from game week 35 they've got Brighton, Watford, West Brom and Leicester so in terms of impact on the meta or on the template, I think that it depends on how the other kind of uh, how the other options are doing because you've got Salah and Sterling who are probably not going to be leaving many teams unless um, you know there's a dramatic drop off in form or um, you know there's an injury or something. And it will just and most people will have Kane, so it's just a case of whether people are going to countenance or want to differentiate by having two Spurs players. What do you think about Mora, Nick? Did you have a chance to have a look at him? Yeah, I mean, he's a very exciting um, signing for Spurs. He's just, because of PSG sort of breaking the bank for um, Mbappe and Neymar, he's just not had much game time this season. So it was, it was a very decent pickup for Spurs and it would be very interesting to see how he, he fits into the club dynamic. I think in terms of FPL, he's quite prolific in terms of the stats you quoted, but I think with there's so much competition for places within that team at the moment, we've got Ericsson, Ali and Son playing behind Kane at the moment. And all three of those guys have been, um, you know, in and out of our squads all season just because of um, the quality that they possess. There's also Lamella that was still fighting for game time as well. So I'm not sure um, if Moura, what will happen with Moura. I think if, if one of those three guys got injured, he'll um, definitely be an option. But I think. Um, in terms of Spurs guys, Son's really impressed in midfield, hasn't he, this season? Ericsson, he's scored again. He's definitely not going to be dropped. So it's just tough to to see how we fit him in our teams, especially with um, most of us owning Harry Kane as well. And um, there's not necessarily that much appetite for the double Spurs attack. 
So I think um, he, he's another one that I would say wait and watch. Finally, I think there's a couple more to talk about, which are Walcott and Drew, who moved intra-PL. I think uh, Walcott obviously showed his worth tonight. Got a brace, a shout-out to Rob Mackle, uh, FPL Nymphria, and uh, Fly as well, who are people who have brought him in. Um, Fly got him in a couple of weeks ago, actually. Got the assist as well a couple of weeks ago. Um, but as you said last week, I think we, we I kind of mentioned him as an option such an effective player. Last year, I looked at his data when he was in form between game weeks four and nine for Arsenal. And uh, he had 26 shots in the box in that time and shot every 21 minutes, a pretty high conversion rate. And I think that's kind of shown tonight in the brace. And I think Giroud also has a decent strike rate uh, with Morata. I think Morata's got a back injury and he's also on compassionate leave, unfortunately. But in a World Cup year, you would back Giroud, I think, to make a difference at Chelsea, make an impact. And we saw tonight with the 3-0 that it's not particularly, you know, that they're in dire need of, of somebody to come in and shake it up. But he's got a very high points per 90, Giroud. So last year, he got 8.6 points per 90 because um, he came off the bench and scored so often. And in 2015-16, he also got 5.7 points per 90 when he was playing more often. So a goal every game, effectively, uh, in FPL terms. Uh, 8.2, I think that's kind of, that could be worth considering because Conte is now got his target man. What do you think about both those two guys? Yeah, Walcott is definitely someone that I'm looking at and I kind of, well, you can't you can't win them all, but I regret not sort of bringing him in. 19 goals in all competitions last season and at 7.1 million, he's very affordable as well. So he would have fitted quite well in terms of a, a straight swap for an out of it. I think he's very kindly priced at 7.1 and he's proved his um, his value tonight with, um, with that brace. Um, Everton have Arsenal up next, but after that they've got a a great run of fixtures, um, Crystal Palace, Watford, Burnley, Brighton and Stoke. So Walcott is definitely someone to look at. They've also got no um, blank. Everton are playing on game week 31. They're one of the only fixtures on that date that's um, been announced. So uh, for that game week, he looks like he should be in um, everyone's team potentially if he continues this uh, run of form. So that's definitely someone that I, I'm looking at and... Uh, I imagine a lot of other managers are too. Uh, Giroud's an interesting one. Um, with Morata ruled out at the moment, could be a potential option. But I think I'm not sure if he's someone that people are going to be bringing in just because he, he hasn't played too much this season. We haven't seen too much of him. I think it might, in some ways, actually impact Morata and make him play better if there's uh, some competition that he feels the manager actually respects. I mean, God knows what was going on with Batshuayi. He just seemed to kind of not like him at all. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think that Giroud is probably going in as a bench option. Um, but who knows, if uh, Conte was really looking for a target man, then maybe it is that you know his style of football actually does favour uh, that kind of player. Anyway, uh, let's take a break there, Nick, and then we'll move on to the features. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time for our features section. So the, the anti-meta team, how, how do they do, Tom? They did all right, actually, Nick. I think they're on about 42, uh, maybe 46 after bonus. So they, they got fairly lucky and the captain was Lacazette, who obviously didn't do anything. But they had some points everywhere else and Edson with a clean sheet, for example. Um, but the key thing is that they've got Nathan Ake off the bench uh, because Tozen didn't play and Rashford didn't play. So uh, I think the other guy come off the bench is Schindler for one. Uh, but Ake scored, kept a clean sheet. Um, so he's looking like he's on for a 15-pointer. Wow. So 46 after bonus actually isn't looking too bad. Even though this is probably a week where the template is going to recover and I think that there's a kind of 
an element of bad luck for a lot of players that are widely owned. And yeah, we've seen the template kind of disintegrate a little bit in the midfield with Arnautovic and maybe the Spurs guys being sold a little bit. I think we're still going to see their kind of demise continue, but it's looking like a little bit of a green arrow for them. But I'm not sure that's going to be sustainable. Uh, Alan Yom started against Manchester City in a, t- in a kind of a back line without Jevons. I felt looked like lambs to the slaughter to some extent. I don't know why Kieran Gibbs was dropped. I mean, maybe Kieran, I think Kieran Gibbs was maybe injured or something. Um, so he started and only got kind of one point in FPL terms. And I, I don't think uh, Man City had all the possessions. So I doubt he did very much. But, but yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens going forward. And I think kind of there's a bit of a wider point here about the pricing as well of the players. I mean, you said that Laporte has been given a 5.5. So maybe... Against expectation, we thought that he was going to get a five uh, 6.0 uh, valuation. So maybe it's the case that they may have realised that some of these players are a bit overvalued and they need to kind of work it out. Peter's at 5.0, you've got Fletcher at 5.0. They've got no business being that highly priced. So hopefully kind of next year um, they'll change things. Uh, but let's move on to our uh, market forces section, Nick. And this is our section where uh, we describe uh, the key moves and shakers in the FPR economy uh, using FPL data to give you guys an insight into what's going on and, and kind of how managers are reacting to what we've just seen. Obviously, this is kind of fresh off the press because we are recording just after the game week has finished. And and you make a good point, actually, because I think, um, yeah, his pricing was 5.0 at the beginning of the season. We saw the same with um, Peter's 5.0. If you look at the, um, the Southampton guys as well, Yoshida, Jack Stevens, all sort of price very high, 5.0. And um, they've all fallen in value a little bit since the start of the season. But these are the teams that have really struggled this season as well and been in the bottom three for quite large periods. So their defenders really were a bit too expensive. So we, we might see the, the um, FPL Towers adjust the prices um, for some of these sort of lower ranking teams and their defenders next season. It'll be, it'll be very interesting to follow. But yeah, it's, it's time for the market forces and... Uh, yeah, so we've already seen a little bit of activity actually with Laporte, the 5.5 new signing for Manchester City. He's um, he's already had activity 2,000 transfers in, even though he's just appeared on the game. So people jumping straight onto him. And um, in comparison, someone who uh, we've been told to um, swear about a little bit is uh, Christensen, and he's uh, he's been transferred out. Um, he's he's had a just absolute shocker in terms of FPL terms with uh, substitutions in the 58th minute and. Every time he seems to only play about 58 minutes, meaning one point when Chelsea get a clean sheet and then he missed out today with a hamstring because he pulled his hamstring in the 27th minute. So um, owners have been really punished by him and now he's injured. They'll be setting him heavily. But in terms of um, the uh, NTI and the uh, the market forces this game week, uh, the big big mover, I guess, to transfer in is... Um, Theo Walcott has had over 30,000 transfers in so far. And um, yeah, well, obviously he's firing now. He's um, at his new club. He's getting game time. He scored a brace. Um, we talked a little bit about Theo earlier on, but um, with that run-up of fixtures, I think um, it's, it's a lot of people are going to be drafting him in. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, they've got Arsenal next. Um, uh, Theo against his old club, which probably is going to be uh, one of those where he scores. But then after that, they only play Man City and Liverpool, both at home uh, in the run-in. Uh, they've got a nice run until the Man City fixture in game week 32 as well as you said earlier there's no blank in 31 for them which includes Crystal Palace Watford Burnley Brighton Stoke 
that's really attractive, I think. And I think that he could be one uh, that a lot of people are going to be pinpointing as a good uh, a good buy-in. Kind of moving on, I think that we've got Leroy Sana, um, obviously being sold by a lot of people, right? Yeah, he's been sold by over 25,000 managers um, so far. And um, shout out to um, Tack within our Gaping Hole League. So he broke the Austin rule this game week and he drafted him in before the, the midweek match, um, the FA Cup match. And obviously Sana got injured in that. And uh, he then um, took another hit to, to bring in David Silva, who got a yellow card and injured today. So he's had a bit of a shocker with the uh, the Manchester City midfielders. With his with his ankle injury, he's, he's the most... Uh, sold transfer um player so far this game week and also being sold is um Anatovic, who's had about 26,000 transfers out at time of recording um obviously he's he's out for a while as well a lot of people had him in because he was on fire and had on a really good um run of form but with his injury um many people are selling him and I guess it, I guess it's um Walcott is is benefiting from all the the Sana and Anatovic uh, sellers yeah, I think so. And I think what we're basically seeing is the disintegration of the template to some extent in, in the midfield. Um, so Salah and Sterling, I think, are probably two who are most people own. But the two or three alongside those are where the differentiation, differentiation point is going to come. I think that's kind of quite exciting because it's been the case that in terms of the template, it's been the case that you've got your team, it's it's pretty set and a lot of people are just kind of tinkering around the edges and you, it was a kind of case of no, no touching. I'm not going to move a lot of these players, but now because of these injuries and because of uh, kind of in Spurs' case, a, a poor run of fixtures, I think it's kind of, it's exciting going forward because it will mean that actually your choices are going to make a difference. Whereas before your choice, were just conforming. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think um, up front, we've got, um, there's a little bit of activity finally with our third striker slot so a lot of people like myself have actually been sitting on um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin for quite a while even though he's not been starting but um, I think um, managers are now sort of wising up to the fact that this guy is not going to be playing very often so it's, it's time to get rid he's he's um, one of the most transferred out players so far this game week with over 10,000 um, transfers out so far but it looks like um, there's a lot of activity with Jordan Ayew who's getting a lot of attention with over 24,000 transfers in at the moment he's the second most transferred in player and um, he's uh, he's been doing quite well in the last um, five game weeks he's had three goals which is um, you know quite reasonable for a striker at his price he's only 5.2 which is very cheap Swansea, uh, Swansea's fixtures are improving as well um, after beating Arsenal um, this game week, they've now got Leicester, Burnley, Brighton, West Ham, Huddersfield, Southampton. And Ayu's uh, um, seems to be nailed as well. He's um, he started all five of the last um, Premier League games. So he's he's getting a lot of game time and, and he seems to be um, scoring. So he's, he's a very good option. There's also um, your man Callum Wilson, who uh, did really well this game week. He got a goal and assist. He's got a brilliant picture on the FPL um game as well if you have a moment to check it out is it's unlike your usual snap of a player he's um Bournemouth also now have a um a great run of fixtures as well they've got Stoke at home up next Huddersfield away Newcastle at home and then Leicester away so that's quite decent um four games um coming up this is like a rare one for me because normally I remove players and I, I never look back you know I, I don't want to bring them back in uh, but Wilson's upcoming fixture run Plus his price, I got him in at 5.7, made me think, yeah, you know what, that's definitely worth it. I mean, between between 26 and 29, they've got Stoke, Huddersfield, Newcastle and Leicester. I think 
with those four, he could very well be a, a very good third striker because there's all, there's always that explosive potential with Wilson. I remember back kind of two years ago, um, owning him for a hat-trick against West Ham and owning him again for a goal the next game. when I actually captained him as well. And it's very rare, I think, at that price of striker, especially this year, where in, in terms of strikers you want to bring in, it's a very kind of narrow set of players. You, you, you sometimes want to hop on and hop off. And you know, you've got to be aware of the hop on sometimes. Uh, but in this case, with Wilson, I think that against Chelsea, it's shown. I mean, I brought, I played him over playing Ogbonna and playing Kenny um, just because I, you know, high, he, he had a higher ceiling than them, had a higher floor than them because obviously they concede two and then get one. And that was, that kind of proved to be fair, a fairly good decision. I, I was very pleased to see, you know, Wilson and you know, using that Wilson gif. <laughs> yeah, Tom Cruise on the raft uh, Wilson uh, uh, that was a, a, a very good thing so I, I'm quite glad there that I'm on to uh, probably a bit of a lottery ticket going forward yeah for sure um, and I guess I guess finally um, there's a little bit of activity in the defence not too much but um, it's, a, it's a bit of a strange one but Nat- Nacho Monreal he's the third most transferred in player at the moment with over 23 thousand transfers in I'm, I'm not sure what you make of that one Tom but he has a he has been prolific in terms of attacking returns he scored two game weeks in a row so and he also got two assists so even though he's only played 123 minutes in the last two game weeks, he's got uh, two goals and two assists. And and some people are jumping on that one, thinking, oh, this, this guy can score and get assists and he's a defender. But um, with Arsenal's next three, I, I don't know. I would, I, we wouldn't say let's get Monreal in. It's, it seems like it's just, um, co- I'd, I'd put, strike it down more to coincidence other than he suddenly discovered, um, you know, his shooting boots and he's going to be like, Hugely prolific going forward. Yeah, he he's not he's no Alonso, is he? Um, yeah, the uh, next three I don't think bode well for him. Uh, but towards the end of the season, if he can end up getting those positions, I mean that pass from Ozil uh, to Monreal was absolutely out of this world. Um, so it could be that Monreal does begin to kind of perform in the way we all thought Kolasinac would who knows but the the next three I think probably are not fixtures that I'm going to be particularly interested in I think with Monreal if he is scoring something out of nowhere I'm inclined to treat that with caution no I I can see why it's going I can see why it's happening put it that way anyway uh let's take a break there Nick and then we'll move on to uh the community questions and the wrap-up cool who got the assist who got the assist Hey, so we're back and it's uh, time to check up on the who got the assist midi league. Um, still at the top is Demir Tanay. Uh, he's made some interesting decisions, actually. He didn't do too well this game week. He's got um, too soon in. Um, to- <laughs> calling him too soon now. He's got Tosin in his team. <laughs> who's got a zero. He's got, um, he's got Mares, um who's not playing at the moment because of transfer issues. And um, he's got uh, Van Dyke as well. So And also... Um, my man Phil Jones with the minus two, so not not the best week for him. And um, the other guys um, in second and third, we've got Stevie Sunshine, Cruise Control, Andrew Ferguson, two girls, one schlup. They uh, both had very good game weeks, so uh, they're they're chasing him down a little bit, so to speak, um, right at the top of the league. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Stevie Sunshine has uh, 
hell of a transfer and come out with a 60-pointer. Uh, have Wilson, he had Mane as a differential, which is quite nice, and got a clean sheet from Gomez. Uh, the double Chelsea clean, uh, double Chelsea defence hasn't quite paid off. Um, and Andrew Ferguson in third, as you said, um, has also done pretty well. I think he, he's on uh, 60 points this week. Unfortunately, he was had your man. Uh, but he got the, uh, the the pen save from, from Pope, uh, which is obviously very big for him. Uh, so he manages to maintain his momentum despite the fact he took commands for this week. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, let's move on. We've got a couple of shout-outs this week. The first is to, to Con, uh, Conleaf, uh, fpl.con on Twitter, uh, just for helping me out with Aubameyang uh, this week. Did a lot of the groundwork on that article. Um, obviously, we do this for free, and a lot of the time, you know, our work, uh, professional work, that is, takes priority. So it was very good that, you know, he was happy to step in and do some of the numbers and, and write uh, the skeleton of the article, um, which eventually went out, which hopefully a lot of you have read. <laughs> and uh, also a shout out to Ed, um, part of our WGTA team, and maybe will be appearing on the pod um, during uh, a potential Nick absence uh, coming up. Um, uh, he helped us out with uh, with Creo and uh, writing about him. It's, uh, it's it's much appreciated. So thank you very much to those two. Uh, just to mention as well, the FPL Connect Simon is coming on uh, next game week. Um, he does a very well regarded and very popular press conference roundup every Friday um, on a normal game week, and he does a very good uh, Simon says article on the key issues. He took our question this week, for example, and does a very good captaincy article as well. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to having them on. Yep, um, looking forward to that next game week. And, and thanks, guys, for all your support with the website and um, help with the articles for sure. Um, so moving on to the, the questions, the first question is from FPL Virgin, and this is um, about Riyad Mahrez, who didn't play today. And it's, um, is he worth keeping or is is his head gone? Well, he's, he's an interesting case because um, they do have Swansea at home up next. So that's the kind of... Um, fixture that you want um, Mares in, and he he has been in really good form this season as well. I was thinking about him as a transfer in actually, and I'm glad I, I chose not to with all the um, the transfer speculation that have been, has been going on. But it looks like he's staying as a a Leicester player at least till the end of the season. And um, I mean, there was a lot of talk about him at the beginning of the season, and he was actually getting a lot of um, positive comments in the press because of his um, you know his decision to continue to play for Leicester and not allow transfer speculation to, to affect his performances. And um, it depends if he's going to be back for the Swansea game or if it's, um, if yeah, I think it's kind of a wait and see, wait for the press conference, see what's said about him. If he's, um, if he's not willing to play for the club anymore, then for sure sell him. But if it's, if um, Puel says, Oh no, he's fine. He's going to play. Then maybe just hold on and wait and see for that Swansea game. Um, so it looks like Mares is staying, um, and I think that what we're probably going to see, obviously, it's going to be really, really awkward in training because it sounds like he's put in a transfer request. It's going to be like if you go in the day after the Christmas party and you've done something completely inappropriate at the Christmas party, and everyone's kind of looking at you, and you kind of, you know, you walk in, you, you walk in, kind of your hand on your head or looking at your phone, you sit down at your desk and hope for a quiet day, and no one emails you. It's going to be one of those days for him. What's really interesting and really ironic is that if he is dropped against, against Swansea, <laughs> the next fixture he could feasibly appear in in Game Week 27 is against Man City. <laughs> so that would be really interesting as, as, as a uh, test of his professionalism, perhaps. Um, is he worth keeping? 
I think I don't I don't know. Uh, it, it's actually quite a difficult one because, as you said, the the running's really good. They only play after Man City. They only face Arsenal until game week thirty eight, the last day against Tottenham. If they can convince him to knuckle down, perceivably they've been doing that all year. With if they can convince him to have a last season with them or a last half season with them and do well in that time frame, he could actually be a very very good player. And he could be a very nice differential, which, which is what he's been for all of his owners so far. So it might be the case that he does something. And it could be the case that with people removing him because of this, that keeping him could be a, a big differential for you. Um, definitely one to watch and wait, as you said. But the fixtures are very good. We know that he's very good. Could it be, especially for game week 28 and 29, when they've got Stoke and then Bournemouth at home? that he's a massive differential if he gets his head back in to the Leicester frame. Thanks very much for that question. Uh, let's move on to another one, uh, which is from a few people. <laughs> um, Christensen, uh, Rob asks, what have I done to upset Christensen? Uh, FPL Virgin, who we just mentioned, asks us to say F off to him. And uh, Harmon Sandu on Reddit asks us if we remember any other run of bad luck. And I think Harmon, the, the answer is no. I don't remember anything where you've bought in a player for the right reasons, he's the right price point, he's had the right fixtures, and you just haven't got the reward. In terms of Rob, and obviously kind of the sentiments echoed in, Vir- in FPL Virgin, uh, what he said, I can completely understand that. It, it is just one of those cases, that we spoke about that a couple of weeks, uh, last week, it's just one of those cases of bad luck, and I think that you probably should be looking to remove him now and just getting it over with almost because it seems like it's going to continue. He's gone off um, because it looks like he's done his hammy. And I think that that's going to be um, something which, if that's something which keeps him out, obviously you need to get rid of him. But even if he hasn't, I think it might be the case that you just kind of give it up and as a bad job and uh, and move him on. I, I agree. Obviously, um, I feel very sorry for the Christensen owners, especially when you compare him to Alonso, until who up until now has just been uh, smashing it. But uh, you know, like you, you do see it occasionally with these defenders that for some reason they just seem to be getting all the bad luck whilst their teammates continue to perform well. We saw it a little bit, I guess, with um, Davidson Sanchez at Spurs as well, who. Um, our um, designer Matt decided to bring in as a differential, and he he promptly got himself sent off and managed to play fifty eight minutes as well. And just he's had a bit of a shocker with him, I think. So, and I think Mark Marcus Rojo um, is another guy who seems to have. Uh, well, he's, he's not really been nailed on this season, but seems to just always pick up ones and zeros. And it's only on, he's a very interesting character because he's actually um, only managed nine points so far this season completely. And, and they all came in one game. So, uh, you know, yeah, for uh, sure. For yeah. sure. it's one of those things where they do our, one of our friends, MJ, who's on our, uh, on our uh, F- FCC team, you know, he brought in Christensen and removed Alonso. He basically kind of thought, you know, I blew myself by bringing him in <laughs> to try to cover Chelsea and it's not quite worked. Um, and I think that that's kind of, you know, it's one of those things where if a player is getting consistently unlucky, yeah, yeah, there could be returns going forward and yeah, you get trolled. But you should be removing, frankly. And I think that that's basically what should be done. Let's move on. Uh, Andy Syme, uh, we're going to just catch up with a question from last week. We didn't quite have room for it. Um, he asked about the blanks and our plans. So Ben Krellin, the double game week and blank game week spreadsheet king is coming on in game week 29. 
to come and talk about all the blanks and the and the doubles and all of that kind of thing. And you know, we're really looking forward to having him on. And according to his spreadsheet, you know, game at twenty eight was looking like a bit of an issue. Now it's not, and we're, I think we're all kind of quite thankful thankful for that. The next one going forward is game week thirty one, um, which is looking, as Nick said, a little bit earlier like one of those which you need to be planning for. And with Andy's question, what are we going to do uh, in the run-up to that? I think that at the moment, what what's looking quite good is planning for game week 31, having a team at game week 31, which you kind of dead end. So you put in players who are playing in that game week with the transfers that you've got left. If you don't have a wild card, of course, then it's a little bit trickier because you've got to kind of navigate that. And maybe there may be a there may be occasion to basically take one on the chin there, perhaps. But for those with wild cards, it might be the the case that you hold on to the wild card to a game week thirty two, dead end in thirty one, bring in players who are going to be playing in that game week. So you've got an eleven that you can put out. A wild card in thirty two, and then from thirty three onwards, you kind of plan your kind of your chip strategy. Uh, what do you think, there, Nick? Is that kind of broadly what you're thinking of doing? Yeah, definitely, and um, it's worth mentioning the free hit as well. That if you're still hold, holding on to that, is um, is a potential opportunity to use that later on in the season, uh, possibly for one of the blanks or the doubles. Um, I'm, I might use it for a double now, potentially, considering I decided to spoo my um, triple captain chip. So um, I think um, the best strategy is to uh, see what you can do for game week 31, try and get as many players that are playing as possible. Um, it's Liverpool um, are definitely playing in game week 31, so I'd recommend that you hold on to your, your Liverpool players for now. Um, look at the likes of Walcott, who's also players Liverpool, Watford, Stoke and Everton are the uh, confirmed fixtures for game week 31 so far. So those are four teams that you can potentially look at, but I wouldn't necessarily say load up on Watford players at this particular moment in time, especially in their current form. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. as a 1-1 to, uh, this evening, so maybe not. Uh, but yeah, that, that sounds very good, Nick. Uh, let's move on to uh, the next question. So Pet at Football Index Guide, um, at underscore FI, FI guide. Um, shout out to him because he had an operation today and we hope he's back on his feet soon. Nick was on his pod and I've had a couple of lunch, lunches with him because it turned out he was in the same building as me. Um, so very cool to meet him. And he basically asked us, you know, he's looking to get, get a new keeper in. I think he's got Gomez. And he's asking us, you know, keepers, where's the value there? How are you going to do it? Um, I think for me, you're probably going to be looking uh, at two people. Uh, one is Pickford. Uh, Everton. Uh, Everton only play Manchester and Liverpool in the run-in of the top six teams. Apart from that, um, they've got nine fixtures, which are very, very good. And the other one is probably Schmeichel. Uh, so they only play Man City and Arsenal. Uh, Man City in game week 27 and Arsenal in game week 31 of the top six teams until game week 37 on the last day they play Spurs, but it doesn't really matter too much anyway, uh, because fates are kind of decided. Uh, but I think it probably be between those two for me. Uh, what do you think, Nick, on this? I know you were probably thinking about Butland actually at one point. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was thinking about Butland, and uh, actually, in the last couple of games, they've managed to get clean sheets, which is um, incredible considering um, their one before came in game week ten and it looked like they hadn't been able to keep a clean sheet for love nor money. They've got no blanks and uh, they've got a decent run of fixtures um, up and coming. Bournemouth, Brighton, Leicester um, and Southampton up next. He's he's priced about 5.0 though. 
Um, I mean, another option I thought about after tonight was uh, Begovic. Um, Bournemouth managed to keep a, a cheeky clean sheet against Chelsea of all clubs. Um, with a, you know, astonishing 3-0 victory that no one could have predicted. And um, Their fixtures are quite kindly as well with Stoke, Huddersfield, Newcastle and Leicester up next. And he's only priced at 4.5. So he's um, he's another potential option if you're looking for a, a cheap goalkeeper. Okay, cool. So basically, Schmeichel, uh, Pickford, or Butland. Uh, but I think that maybe Butland kind of going forward, especially towards the run in, uh, isn't as attractive. But you know, uh, after game week 30, 31, 32, when they kind of have a few tough, they've got between game week 30 and 32, they've got fairly tough fixtures. They've got Man City, Everton, Arsenal, and Tottenham actually in game week 33 as well. Um, there could be saves there, and you, you know, if you do have kind of my initial plan of game of uh, wild card in game week thirty two, you at least get saves for Man City and Everton. Um, but for me, if you do want to get someone in and secure them early, it's going to have to be Schmeichel or Pickford. All right, moving on. Uh, David Monday, uh, we're going to give a shout out to him as well uh, for the Herald Live blog and uh, for a little bit of help with the proofing of the articles this week. Uh, he asked us now the transfer window is shut. Uh, do you think it's time to take a big points hit to freshen up our damaged midfields and inactive benches uh, in order to save the wild card of the double game weeks? It's an interesting question. I mean, a lot of people actually in our chat were saying to me, oh, you should use your wild card um, because I was bemoaning my injury crisis and um, I decided not to use the wild card. I, I still want to save it for um, later on in the season when we got more knowledge about what's happening with all the doubles and the blanks. And I think um, we both have the um, opinion that the wild card is so much um, better suited for that period when you've got the opportunity to potentially load up on um, you know, up to 15 double game week players. And that's it's very exciting, that game week, um, when you can have up to 30 players. And I'd rather save it for that opportunity than, uh, than, take, than um, take a hit. So um, when that comes around to, to load up. So um, I ended up taking the minus eight, as we discussed this game week. And I think if you've got a damaged midfield like um, like I had, then uh, yeah, by all means, minus fours, minus eights. Try and avoid minus twelves because I think just the game week is always going to be a write-off with a minus twelve. And, and with a minus eight, I didn't enjoy this game week because you always chase, you always feel like you're chasing. But um, I, I don't think, um, I think you should try and avoid your wild, um, using your wild card until season end if you can yeah i'd agree with that i think that the case is that you kind of preserve the wild card at all costs i think you can model through some game weeks i think a lot of the time you should look at your 11 like at the end of the day only 11 players can be on the pitch and 11 players can get you points uh, if you're mucking around on the margins and you're making changes to you know your second bench or you know in my case i've got lost his cheek who's on my third bench you know I could remove him and it is obviously annoying to have a player who's not going to show up for a little while. But if you can wedge them on the bench, I mean, uh, over Christmas, it was obviously very, very important. We were saying that and uh, you know, Chief, who was on the pod, was saying it's very important to have that kind of bench, the third, kind of all three bench players who come off the bench and help you. Uh, but I think we're in a period now where there's enough break between game weeks this week aside because we've had a midweek um, that you're not going to need that much on the bench and I think that if you can model through do it if you can take as Nick said you know minus four or minus eight that's pretty good if, if you can if you got to take a minus 12 I would never recommend it if you I prefer to play with 10 almost 
Um, but if it's unavoidable, I prefer to do that rather than use your wild cards. I've seen quite a few wild cards that have been played in kind of anger. A few people who play wild cards who are ahead of me in terms of OR. And I think that's probably not the strategy that I recommend just because at the end of the day, you've got to maximize those double game weeks for because it, that overall score at the end of the season is what's important. It's not what's important. Like right now, isn't that important? It's like where you where your kind of end trajectory is going to be and that I'd be favoring and always be kind of thinking about. And I think that if you use your wild card now, you could be severely compromising that. Okay, Nick, let's move on to the to the end. And uh, captain choices and changes. So this week I'm going to be removing Lingard. I'm going to be putting in Sanchez in. I'm going to captain him against Huddersfield. I'm going to remove Otamendi for an up to 4.8 defender. And I'm going to probably do this now. So by the time we're listening to it, I'm going to have done it. And I'm going to be probably putting in Ben Chilwell as my uh, as, as my defensive option, hoping for uh, immediate returns uh, as Leicester play Swansea at home. Uh, what about you? Sounds like you've got it all mapped out. So I've, I've barely had a chance really to think about the next <laughs> game week, to be honest, after kind of rushing my transfers earlier today and um, earlier yesterday, yesterday. And then, uh, yeah, looking at the fixtures, I mean, the captain choice is a tough one for me. I mean, because um, I suppose the, the standout picks or the usual picks are playing each other with Spurs playing Liverpool. So it could um, I could potentially go for a differential captain in Kevin De Bruyne, who's got Burnley away, um, or Sterling, who you picked um, this game week, uh, much to your success. So I think it's, it's maybe one of the City boys um, for my uh, for my captain this game week. Um, in terms of transfers, I'm, I'm looking at my defence and it's a mess at the moment. I've got um, Simpson. Hopefully he'll start against Swansea. I think I'm just going to have to keep the faith and hope he does. Otherwise, it'll be Zanka on the pitch again. Um, I've also got John Joe Kenny. So it might, and with uh, Seamus Colwyn now being back, it might just be that John Joe Kenny has to be the man that that leaves the fold and um, I'll try and find a, another defender in at 4.5, maybe um, Higatsi from West Brom, maybe um, a Bournemouth guy if I can afford it, or um, the other ones I was looking at, maybe one of the Brighton defenders, um, like Dunk or Duffy. Yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't recommend Dunk. I'm playing him next week, but you know, but, uh, Brighton not keeping clean sheets at the moment, and Dunk is not uh, not delivering on the attacking threat, which he definitely carries. Okay, uh, there's a theme to each pod. Uh, last week it was obviously James Bond. Uh, this week it's a very subtle, I'd say. Uh, so good luck with trying to trying to guess what it was. Uh, well done to Death Star FPL, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, who got it first. Um, he's got a brace of first choices. So uh, well done to him. So just to reiterate, obviously, who we are, uh, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us at whogotassist.com and you can follow us on Twitter at WGCA underscore FPL. Yep. And if you want to join our mini league, our league code is 1538-17403. And we'll be back after the weekend with FPL Connects. All right. Thanks very much, guys. We hope this assisted you. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.